0: Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, the more we know you, the more it is that joy dances in our soul. So as we open the pages of our family's history, show yourself in this word. Whisper your love in our ears. Draw us into the embrace of your arms. Let our hearts beat a little faster as we hear the sound of your voice so near. Amen. Scripture lesson today is from Luke, uh, chapter 11, verses one through eight. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. John told them, when you pray, or Jesus rather, told him, When you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who has wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation. He also said to them, imagine that one of you has a friend and you go to that friend in the middle of the night. Imagine saying friend loan me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived And I have nothing to set before him Imagine further that the answer from within the house don't bother me The door is already locked my children and I are in bed. Uh, I Can't get up and give you anything I Assure you even if he won't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friends brashness. The word of God for the people of God. God.
1: So our summer series has been about the uh, habits that we can develop to have a home run faith. Recognizing that spiritual formation has always been about practicing the presence of God, whether it's through worship or prayer or service or study or testimony um, or even through tithing. I know it's not stewardship season and I said that word. But when we practice those things, um, the grace of God is able to work in us and begin to form and reform us Uh, into a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, We went um, a couple of Saturdays ago to an Astros game. And you remember me talking about how effortless it was for the professionals to play baseball. And then if you were to go to a little league, um, you know, T-ball game, you would see such great contrast between the two. If you've ever played baseball, you know it is not effortless at all. In fact, it takes great work, great sacrifice, and great study. And so the same is true for us, uh, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, but we are uh, invited uh, to meet God and to practice the presence of God um, as we develop habits for a home run faith. And so when we look at prayer today, uh, signs are everywhere. If you go to a baseball game, if you watch closely, You know, whether it's the signs that a catcher makes to the pitcher, or whether it's the signs that um, the coach makes to the batter, or my favorite is the third base coach um, as they uh, make signs to the runner as they come around the corner. Now, I've been uh, really impressed. I I have watched way too much YouTube videos uh, to practice uh, appropriate signs thinking surely that each sign traditionally meant something to every baseball team. Can you see how little I know about baseball? I mean, if this was about college basketball, I'd be all over it, right? Um, But it's not. Um, And so what I've learned is that um, actually in all of the gestures that they might do when they do them, none of those could mean anything. I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't know we were doing signal confusion along with message transmission. Uh, in fact, I love the bottom picture there. I- I've done this sign all the time. I mean, that I've known that for a long time, right? And of course, there's also the signs um, by uh, people in the stands. Um, so, right. um, now, where did signs come from in baseball? So some historians say that signs first originated in the Civil War, uh, where soldiers um, on the battlefield would use hand signs and that sailors on uh, military ships would use flags to signal. Um, That these types of signs uh, were then uh, pulled into baseball um, and they were a part of uh, how the teams would communicate and to do strategy. Now, I honestly think that probably the easiest sign would be that one, right? (laughs) Don't do it, <laughs> right? Um, but when we start thinking about how the metaphor of baseball and the metaphor of spiritual formation come together, uh, we get to the place to we're realizing that um, that prayer is that important piece. A Prayer is that communication from uh, God the coach to us the players, if you wanna be so one-to-one. And when we look at our gospel passage today, the Gospel of Luke um, talks about Jesus praying more often and more intentionally than any other of the gospels. You get these pictures of Jesus that prayer is uh, crucial and critical uh, for Jesus. Um, when we look at the places where it happened, oh, that's an eye chart. Um, uh, we see Jesus uh, praying at important milestones of his ministry. He prays at the call of the disciples. He prays at Peter's confession that he is the Lord. He prays um, when they're up on the Mount of transfiguration. He prays in the garden of Gethsemane. He prays even when he's on the cross hanging in pain. And of course, before that he prays at the last supper. Prayer is critical. It'd be easy for us to say that, why does Jesus have to pray? Jesus is God. Why does that connection have to happen? But in so many ways, Jesus models for us uh, a life of discipleship, a life of being connected to God, a life of doing the will of his father. And so if it's good enough for Jesus, wouldn't you say it would be good enough for us as well? When we look at uh, first century Judaism, right? The disciples come at the beginning of our passage and say uh, to Jesus, teach us to pray. And, and why do, do they say, teach us to pray? Well, scripture says, because John taught his disciples how to pray, right? We want to keep up uh, with others, right? Um, and so Jesus teaches them a very simple set prayer. Now, in uh, first century Judaism, set prayers were not a new thing. Uh, They'd been around for quite a while and um, there there was a set prayer in the morning and a set prayer um, in the evening for every day. Um, There was a um, a set prayer for um, the uh, Shabbat, the kind of Sabbath observance in the family home. And there's even a set prayer if you're unable to be in the synagogue when you're supposed to, uh, to be able to pray at that time. And so the idea uh, that Jesus teaches them um, a set prayer is not necessarily cutting edge, uh, but it is important and interesting. Um, When we uh, look at the actual uh, prayer, it's a simple prayer. Um, uh, Lord, uh, bring your kingdom. Uh, And and this is the CEB's translation of the Lord's Prayer. right? I know for traditionalists like myself, it's jarring uh, to hear uh, the language in the CEB, but it's nice to uh, remind us uh, what it means. Sometimes we learn words and we forget meanings. And so in the midst of that set prayer, uh, the Lord's prayer, as we call it, uh, we we get a um, encouragement for the kingdom to come, uh, provide for our daily bread, forgive us of our sins, as we will forgive others of their sins. It's a very basic, clear prayer. Uh, It it is a, um, a behavior and an action that centers our hearts and reminds us one, where bread comes from, two, how forgiveness happens, Three, what the end goal is, which is to have uh, God's kingdom come. Now, Jesus just doesn't just teach a set prayer. He tells a story. And Jesus's ministry really is punctuated by these parable stories. Now, um, I like to think that this particular parable um, comes out of the uh, phrase in the set prayer of give us our daily bread. And so Jesus says, which of you, which is really one of those wonderful hypothetical questions, um, because the answer to which of you uh, wouldn't do this is, is, is no one. We would all give bread to our friend, right? Uh, it would be unthinkable to lock the door and close it and to say, oh no, we would never help a friend. Now what's important here is uh, to um, plug into Uh, the real historical reality, right? So Jesus um, uh, was raised where? In Nazareth, uh, in a Nazareth uh, village. Um, The cooking of bread would have been done in a central area in the middle of the village. Uh, Everyone would come out and bake their bread in the same place. And so uh, in a very public way, you knew who had more bread and who had less bread. You, you knew um, who was um, you know, making some Nazareth croissants and uh, who was just trying to get by with some whole wheat. Um, th- there was um, this kind of uh, transparency that's probably not very present um, in our day and age. Uh, and so uh, as Jesus goes to tell the story um, of a friend um, uh, this uh, friend that goes to your house in the middle of the night and says, I don't have enough bread. Will you give me some bread? And knocks on the door in an annoying way. Now you could come, you know, which of you would come to the door and say, Oh no, I am not unlocking the door. Uh, because um, it's not just a security thing. What was really true in that statement of, uh, I cannot open the door without waking up my children, is that the process of unlocking the door, lighting a lamp, going to the pantry, finding the bread, bringing the bread out. um, I mean, these were not palatial two-story homes. Um, These were small one or two room dwellings. And so all of that activity would surely disrupt the whole house. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus tells this story between friends, between friends, right? I don't know about you, but for friends, I'll do just about anything. You know, it's a different piece than uh, the cultural expectation of hospitality, right? We're familiar in uh, the ancient Near East, in the uh, desert culture, you extended hospitality to the stranger because if you were stuck in the middle of the desert, you'd want somebody to give you a cold glass of water as well. But notice here, this is not a stranger. We're not Sarah and Abraham in the middle of the desert, entertaining angels unawares. This is your best friend who stopped by, who doesn't have enough to eat, who most likely you know he doesn't have enough to eat because you saw him baking that measly little bit of bread uh, at the village fire. And so, uh, moving beyond just the expectation of hospitality, we then move in to the recognition of the power of shame. Right, so, so which of you wouldn't open the door for a friend? You see, Jesus is playing not just with cultural expectations, but now a little bit of shame as well. Now, I have to take um, issue, uh, well, okay, sorry. Um, Jesus uh, would be uh, preaching about uh, a part of scripture that uh, the people listening would know. Uh, from Proverbs, there's a very clear parallel. In Proverbs uh, 3, 28 and 29, it says literally, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it, the bread, when I have it with you. You see, it's not about social occasion. It's not like, oh yes, come by for tea and crumpets tomorrow. No, no this is about the need for sustenance for the day. And so part of um, Old Testament scripture, part of the ways in which uh, the people hearing Jesus were raised, they were raised to know to not send their neighbors away. Now, when we look at um, the particular scripture passage, um, we see that there is a Greek word, uh, anadeia which um, we've translated uh, often as persistence. Right? How many know this kind of parable, this story? It's told in multiple places. In one place, it's a widow who goes to the judge and her anadia, her persistence, causes the judge to rule in her favor, right? Persistence. But here's the funny thing. If you do a Greek word study, there is no place in ancient literature or in scripture where we have translated anadia to be persistence. It's like the King James translators thought, huh, we can't talk about shame. We'll talk about persistence. But in reality, what Anadea means all throughout scripture um, is not persistence, but uh, brashness. Uh, Or another way to think about it is shamelessness. So if you read the scripture again, uh, CEB, one of the reasons why I like it is because they translate a little bit more accurately. So that last statement is, I assure you, Jesus says, even if he, your friend, wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. Brashness, his his shamelessness in asking for what his he needs. Not as early as persistence, it's not like, a, you know, when I was a kid, and we'd uh, go on a long car ride uh, to visit uh, grandparents uh, from Florida to Alabama, uh, we had to play um, the, uh, the you know, lots of different games. One of them was c- Connect-A-Rear. Did you ever play connector rear when you are in the car driving with your parents? Right, that, that was because you couldn't get up. You had to Connect-A-Rear. That was before seatbelts. No one's going along with me on this one. Um, My favorite game to play, which really wasn't um, sanctioned um, by the parents or the car riders, um, but it was to sit next to my older sister and and just to be like this far away from her and say, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. (laughs) Right? You remember these, right? I'm not the only one, Um, right? And and so the persistence, (laughs) If I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I've touching you, right? No, no, we're not talking about repeated actions over time that result in getting what you want. We're talking about the shamelessness, the willingness to ask for what you need. And as a friend, the shamelessness of providing it. That's really the place here. The the brashness is both on um, the friend who has the bread and on the friend who doesn't have the bread. You see, um, even the friend inside the house must be shameless in waking up the whole house so that their friend might eat that day. Um, So how does this play into um, our lives? I really like Anne Lamott. If you're looking for a beginning book about prayer, uh, Anne Lamott has a book called simply Help, Thanks, Wow. And it's three essential prayers for a Christian. Um, help, Thanks, Wow is, is really kind of uh, self-evident, right? Um, the three kinds of prayers that we need in our discipled life is one, is to know and to ask for help when we need it. Now, now some of us remember prior to coming to faith, you know, um, in those moments when things have gone completely sideways. Oh Lord, if you get me out of this pickle, I'll never do it again, right? Uh, It qualifies as a help of prayer, but I sure wish there was a little bit more meat behind it and not so much of a, wow, I got caught. Um, If I don't have to uh, be punished, uh, I won't do it again. Um, Help prayers are um, those places and spaces where you see yourself or someone else needing a little extra help, whether it's about um, uh, medical prayer concerns, uh, whether it's about concerns about job. It often relates to what we talk about as the four D's, um, death, uh, diagnosis, divorce, disorder. We pray for help in those moments. Now, the second prayer that comes along is thanks. Thanks it's a willing realization that that when those four D's happen and we pray for help and help comes, that it wasn't luck that it wasn't our uh, great skill. It wasn't our great connections, but it's saying thanks to the one who was responsible for the help that we've received. You you see this often, right? We heard this uh, with the children. Um, When do you pray Uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, Yes, right? Because those are prayers of thanks. Thank you for this food. It came not because mom and dad got a paycheck, but it came because you provide for us. And then lastly, after we have uh, kind of slayed the dragons of the four D's and asked for help, after we have clearly put um, gratitude in the place where our provision comes from. Wow, prayers of wow. Now, now these can be as simple as a sunset or a sunrise. These can be as simple as um, seeing uh, or hearing a song on the radio that uh, um, exactly matches your need at the moment. Wow can be so many places. You know, as we come up on um, 4th of July um, for fireworks, um, how many times have you sat and just kind of listened and watched as the fireworks go off? We used to make uh, fun um, that crowds would go, ooh, ah, oh. But that's a prayerful response when the fireworks that we see are not pyrotechnics that the cities provided, though they're wonderful, um, but rather they are the fireworks of God's love and provision played out on the stage of our very own lives. Do you see how prayer doesn't have to be a complex, philosophical, um, spiritual thing that maybe you don't have a lot of connection to. It could be as simple as asking for what you need, thanking the one who provided it, and then giving that um, awe response as we see all that God is doing for us, in us, and through us. Help. Thanks. Wow. I wanna say that regardless of your maturity in faith, prayer is essential. We read studies about discipleship stages and maturity. There's one consistent thing throughout all the stages, whether you are an infant in the faith uh, drinking milk or whether you are um, mature beyond years, even beyond this pastor eating steak, it doesn't matter. The one important thing is prayer. Prayer is essential. We see it in people who um, haven't even come to faith, right? How often do we hear on uh, the news when a tragedy happens, you're in our thoughts, and what? Prayers, right? And then if you ask uh, the great titans of faith, where do they get their clarity? Where do they know their purpose? They would say, where? Through prayer. Regardless of your maturity in faith, prayer is an essential practice. I also wanna say that prayer can be more things uh, than just help, thanks, and wow. Your prayer could be a sorrowful petition, a quiet centering, a heartfelt intercession, a joyful praise. What matters is not what you are praying or how you are praying, but what matters most is that we never stop praying. Prayer is that um, beginning habit that if we continue to develop it with the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, we will find a home run faith. What I think is uh, really important, and I also think is kind of in the background behind Jesus' parable about the friend and about the bread, um, is that unlike the friend, God who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. These would have been from songs in the Psalms that uh, Jesus and the disciples would have sang in the synagogue as they grew up. You see the parable gets broke open in an interesting moment. When we realize all the different strains that come together to take an odd story that kind of guilts us into helping the hungry into a story that creates a web of friendship, a willingness, to be brash and shameless, and a realization that God loves us, does not fall asleep, and will provide for us if we are just willing to say, help, thanks, and wow. When developing habits for a home run faith, the second habit is prayer, staying connected to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.